Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, with another great episode for you today because I got a great guest. This is a friend of mine named Brad McDonald. He's the founder and president, I think we'll call him CEO. He'll tell you what his title is, of Freightco. Freightco is a logistics as well as a dedicated trucking company. And Brad has been on the show before. In fact, it was about a year ago that Brad was on. We've known each other since we were in high school. Hardworking, successful, entrepreneurial-minded individual. You're going to love hearing from Brad McDonald. We're going to uh, discuss today survival strategies when the marketplace throws you a wrench, a monkey wrench, as they say, when the uh, when the marketplace makes it hard for us, how do we survive? What do we do to get by? And I figured he's a good guy to talk to about this because he's been on his own for a very long time. Brad McDonald, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, for those that don't remember the episode from a year ago, you worked in, you got out of college, you worked for a, uh, a freight company, and then you started your own thing when? Uh, actually, 2001, uh, Tracy Shaw and I left a company that we were working for in Indianapolis. We said, you know what, we can do this on our own. So we branched off and hooked up with a small um, family owned company. We did that for about a while. And then we realized it's really hard to integrate ourselves into a family owned company. So we departed that situation and we started Freco. So we started Freight Co. in 2004. And today, um, you know, we're, we're where we're at. <laughs> yeah, well, your your partner, your partner, who we both know is no longer there. So it's just you. So tell me what Freight Co. looks like today. So Freight Co. is a, um, an asset-based logistics provider. That's what we call it. So that means asset-based means we have our own trucks. Uh, we have a small fleet of trucks to service um, dedicated customer needs. We have some customers that that say to us, listen, we only want your trucks to do this. Because when we started Freco, we started Freco as a brokerage company. And a brokerage company is, uh, you know, so we'll go out and we'll gain um, business from a client, from a customer. And let's say that we get that business and it's a load that pays $1,000. And then we'll find a carrier to do it um, for $900. That's very common uh, occurrence in, in our industry. That's how, yeah. So freight, freight moves a lot of times on a broker deal. That's why we see owner operators. Uh, you'll see uh, all that kind of thing where you're like, I, I just, uh, I own my own rig. And then I just have somebody like you that throws me these jobs. And then you take a little rake off of it. Right. Correct. Correct. And then you have your own thing. So your a freight co uh, is is logistics brokerage company on one side, and it's also a dedicated, which means you have your own trucks, your own employees, and and do that where it's just then uh, where where you're not brokering out. Correct. So we also have an office in Atlanta, Georgia. We're getting ready to open an office in the Raleigh Durham area. So we just hired a new employee who is going through some training and doing some things there and she'll 
open up an office in that area for us. Total number of employees between both and everything is how many now? Uh, 28. All right. So now everybody's got a background for that. And yes, again, dear listener, if you're a friend of mine listening to this, you probably know Brad McDonald because he and I have been friends for high, since high school. But uh, whether that happened or not doesn't matter. He's been out here making it all happen for 20 years, 17 years since he left his own joint venture, left the joint venture he had with the family owned company. All right. Uh, we tell everybody that listens because I've been on my own since 1994. When I quit corporate, you've been on your own for a long time. Everybody comes to us and says, Hey, I got this idea. And we always say, Hey, it's not about the idea. Ideas are great, but also it's about a lot of other things, making it all work. What we're talking about now is the last year In the last year, since March 12th, March 13th, Friday, the 13th of March, uh, the government started locking down the economy, started shutting down businesses, started telling people they couldn't leave their house. The media went on a 24 seven, uh, scare campaign, it screwed things up. And so you and I both find ourselves in this situation where it's not, it's not always gravy running your own enterprise period. But now all of a sudden this thing that I thought, what the hell, what the hell, uh, how long does this last? So tell me about what happened starting a year ago for you. Well, a year ago for us, we still had residuals. We still had accounts receivables coming in. So the immediate impact wasn't necessarily as bad as what I knew that was coming. And what was coming in June would be a couple different things. Number one, um, customers not able to pay us or customers that were waiting on PPP money to pay us. Um, and, and also the downturn of non-essential business. So non-essential business, if you haul a load of kickballs, or if you have um, just a variety of, whether it's cabinets or pool spas or a lot of different items like that, um, those, those aren't shipping. The essential items that do continue to ship and people are like, well, you know, things are going crazy. You have everything shipping. You you have water, you have toilet paper. Everyone's like saying, well, you, we can't find toilet paper. You guys have to be crazy busy. And it was busy, but because you're not shipping products to Kohl's and because they're non-essential, um, you have just, it's supply and demand. So you have an oversupply of trucking companies and you have a limited supply of freight only going to essential type facilities. And so rates became really depressed, extremely depressed from the end of March through about the third week in June, about the third or fourth week in June. Okay. So you're talking a couple months there easily, maybe three months. And by the way, when you say rates for the person that's like, I don't really understand the vernacular of trucking, he's talking about the amount he can charge to move a pound of something from one place to another. Right. Yeah, it's a per mile basis. So it's based off of per mile. Okay, so rates got depressed, meaning some folks probably, and this is what always happens as you look at it, like the contractor wants to keep his guys swinging hammers. So he's all of a sudden now taking jobs for below break even just to make sure that he's keeping his people going and he's losing a little bit of money. Is that kind of what happens? People are, uh, your competitors are saying, shit, we got our nut to cover. Let's go ahead and do this at break even or less. Yeah, a majority of our freight was was at contract level. Unfortunately, you still had some customers that wanted to take advantage of the market 
You have a lot of companies that say have their fiscal year that ends in May. So they may do their contracts in May. So market price at that point in time is different than what it had been in the past. So they leverage that current market. And so your, your market price may be down 40% to what it was before, which is, which is disturbing. <laughs> Very disturbing. When, you, when your market price is 40% off or 40% of what it was supposed to have been. Right. All right. Uh, there's two modes, thrive and survive. I think if you talk to anybody that's been on their own, piloted their own ship long enough, they'll tell you, all right, there's, there's, uh, there's no such thing as just, uh, you know, we like to call it business as usual. The reality is there's all sorts of different things. There's storms, there's government, there's regulation, there's uh, changes in the marketplace, there's shortages of inventory, there's raw materials, all this kind of stuff. I think that there's two things called thrive and survive. There's times when you're just going gangbusters, right? Gangbusters. And there's times where it's crickets. You hope that your bad times, if you, if you work at it, I've tried to get to where my crickets don't kill me and my thrives don't kill me from going too hard. Like in other words, I try to make it to where like even bad months, quarters, years aren't as bad as they used to be. That's what I think is a key to longevity. It's kind of like, man, uh, 20 years ago, if I'd have had a quarter like this, it would have killed me, but now it doesn't. Is that what you do? Tell me what you think of when you look at thrive versus survive crickets versus gangbusters. Well, you're, you're always going to have disrupt disruptions. You're always going to have downturns. So you learn from those as you get older, as, uh, as you get more experience, I think that that helps. Um, but yeah, the biggest issue is front loading. I like to think about front loading. I know there's going to be a disruption. I know what I can live on. I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to be measured in my decisions on what we're going to do and how we're going to spend money and where we're going to spend money. So that helps, that helps with the downturns a little bit. And sometimes the downturns aren't necessarily so bad. So when you have a downturn and you get some correction and you get some corrections in the marketplace. Sometimes when you have a downturn, it provides you an opportunity to pick up assets that aren't on an inflated level. Yeah. When things are really good, trailers cost more, trucks cost more. Yeah. So you want to put yourself in a position that when you have a downturn, that you have enough cash on hand that you can take advantage of that downturn, that you can buy assets on a lower cost than if you could any other time. And really that helps you get through, I mean, that helped us get through this last uh, episode that we had, which was just the total disaster. Unfortunately, we leveraged some of the equity, you know, to help us get through that, but I'm just happy that we had some assets that we could do some of that with. So the mindset during those time frames is easier for you and I because we're we're not kids anymore. Uh, <laughs> like my mindset is, uh, I'm like, okay, don't panic. And then you go through like, um, maybe I should uh, be doing this. Then my problem is when you get slow, I think it gives you more time to start thinking, and then you you start doubting or questioning. That's been my only issue is that you start questioning and doubting, and then you don't know for sure. Whereas when you're going great guns, uh, and and 
then you don't even have time to really uh, do a lot of questioning. It's just a matter of here's what we're doing and here's the next thing. You got a lot more confidence when things are going crazy, don't you? Yeah, I think that's a couple things. I can hear my mom saying to me, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. You know, no one's going to do it for you. You need to do it yourself. The other part of it is I think of the movie Saving Private Ryan. There's a sergeant in Saving Private Ryan, and he's walking across this battle scene, and there's just bullets flying by him. And it's almost like he feels like he's invincible, like he's not going to get shot. But even if he does, he almost feels somewhat dead anyway, <laughs> right? So, you know, he's exhausted, he's tired. So, you know, and that's kind of the the feeling that you get. I mean, you can't stop. you it would never stop. I mean, I would have to be dead, you know, for me to stop. So it's not going to stop. You become a little desensitized during that period. I'm not going to lie, you know, didn't really care about much of anyone else. I mean, it was survival mode. And so you had to do what you had to do. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, it is survival mode and, uh, you do do whatever you gotta do and it's not being insensitive and it's not like being mean, but you're like, Hey, here's what I gotta do. Uh, you know, that's it. So, uh, entrepreneur types aren't really usually wired for hunker down mode. It's been my observation that somebody like you, somebody like me, we're pretty much like, Hey, I get together with a couple of my friends here last week and we're having drinks and golfing and they're pretty positive business minded guys, a couple of entrepreneurial minded guys. We don't think about, Hey, how can you hunker down and do everything you can? Like, you know, eat, eat canned soup and all that. It's more like, Hey, what can we do next? What can we grow to? Is it hard for you to go into hunker down mode? Again, you know, what I talked about earlier is, um, you try to front load situations like this. Mm -hmm. So you know that these are going to come down. So you really leverage relationships ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And so you want to develop those relationships. So let me give you an example. When the economy is really, really good, capacity becomes an issue for our customers. So during that period of time, we spend a lot of time calling customers to, to gain market share because there's someone out there not taking care of them. Mm -hmm. And so we really push to uh, expand our customer base during that period of time, because when things are bad, every trucking company in the world is calling them. Every logistics provider in the world is calling them. Yeah, everybody becomes a door. Knocker. When, when, when the, when the market gets skinny, everybody becomes a door knocker, right? Right. Right. So we try to focus on the opposite side of it. And so when the market is really crazy and expanding, we try to get more business. When the economy is retracting, then we try to get more carriers because in our business and the logistics side, you know, we're looking for that more independent contractor, that more owner operator, that small, um, trucking company to become their sales force. Yeah. So when they're struggling to get freight, we go to them and say, you know, we have this book of freight. We, we can, we can keep you busy. We can tie you into this lane. Um, so we, so during that time, we focus on the trucking side, the truck side expanding. Uh, we always say the one with the most trucks wins. So we try to gain as many trucks during that time as we can so when we have an upturn in the economy, we have capacity to provide our customers. You've got people that can haul it for you. And then on the other side, you talked about uh, when there's a, when there's weakening in the marketplace, when there's fear in the marketplace, when there's softening, then that's time to also go out and 
and buy more equipment, et cetera, on the different side. So like you said, the two sides of the equipment, one thing is you own, the other one is you just need to have relationships. Correct. Uh, I've noticed that when you're up, my, my wife and I went through a really tough time between uh, 2001 and 2005. And uh, about 2005, she said, Damien, I really missed the confidence it used to exude and how uh, you just, and I said, honey, for four years, I feel like all I've done is made bad decisions that have cost us. My confidence is eroded because I've made a lot of bad decisions that have hurt us. And um, of course, I appreciate her support. And uh, anybody that's honest can say that after a few years of uh, tough time, you get doubtful about your decisions. Am I arrogant if I say that I don't? Because, <laughs> you know, decisions are decisions. That, I mean, that's really how I feel about them. I mean, we learn from them. I tell my employees, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Just don't make something, you know, and I give them enough leeway to make those mistakes. You know, it's impossible for me to say that I made a bad decision because I make, you know, I make decisions on trying to do the right thing all the time. So if you're trying to do the right thing all the time and it's the wrong decision, you just got to live with it. You know, it's kind of like golf. Golf is, you're not always going to hit a perfect shot every time. It's how do you recover from that? And can you put yourself in a position that you don't put yourself in the woods and sometimes you're going to end up in the woods. So how do you get out of that situation? So you really have to, own up to the decision that you make or made, and then you got to determine how you're going to get out of it and put yourself in a position so that you can hit that next shot to get onto the green or put yourself in a position that you can have a good shot after that. Dear listener and viewer, you are hearing his golf analogy because before we started recording, we talked about me having taken up the world's most frustrating game, golf, which I tried when I was a teenager, then I, with a starter set someone gave me, then I tried when I was in college because I was going to be a corporate guy and I decided I was going to scare my customers and I began again here last year with my bride uh, and my friends and took lessons. Um, Good analogy though, because the point is, what we say is, uh, that I've learned about golf and I certainly know about business is that great shots are neat, but they're actually pretty damn hard to pull off. It's not the great shots that you need. It's the limiting the absolute killer shots. The ones that like cost you six strokes because you, you just really, really screwed it up bad. So I think that's true. So if you can avoid this, people worry too much about, Oh, if I do this, 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 and this, like, probably not. You're probably not going to get into, you know, you try something new, you, you do this project, you take on this contract, it's probably not going to kill you. So I agree with you on that. I'm not, I'm not talking about being like, um, uh, like rattled by decisions. It's more that after you're getting going, you're like, son of a bitch. I wish I, I wish I, I wish I could take this one back more like that. Yeah. In 2008, in 2008, I thought I was rich. Right. <laughs> and um, so that's when we started Freco dedicated. So we had the brokerage side of it and we decided, you know, we had customers that were saying, you need to have some of your own trucks. We can put you on these lanes and we'll lock into some long-term contracts. And so, so we did that. We went out and bought some trucks and we went out and bought some trailers and um, spent, spent some money and, you know, went into some debt and then along comes increased fuel prices, fuel prices went, you know, 
$4 a gallon recession hit. And here I am stuck with assets. That's depreciating, a problem. Depreciating assets. Depreciating assets. Correct. Right. And so the cash dries up pretty quick when you have to make payments on equipment that's not making you any money. Mm-hmm. So that that's a bad decision, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not so bad today. Right. I mean, today, you know, there's capacity demands that equipment is very much needed. So, you know, it's just being able to manage through that environment. So the decision was a bad decision at the time, not so bad of a decision today. Would just because there's an uptick in the economy, does that mean that I'm going to go out and buy more equipment? No, I'm not going to go out and buy more equipment. The reason why I'm not going to go out and buy more equipment, number one is I don't know what the future holds. I don't feel real confident in what's going on with our future. So if I can, if I need a little depreciation or if we need to do something different, then, then maybe we'll look at something like that. But right now we're still trying to recover from the three months that we lost. Yeah. It was like six weeks of like shutdown. Right. But it was three months of like nothing. Right. Yeah. I'd say that uh, that's accurate. Um, I'd say that my 2020 ended up off uh, uh, less bad than it was going to be, but it's because as you said, there was a bunch of stuff in the pipeline that came through and then uh, some other things. Let's talk about, so I'd say I ended up, uh, you know, off, off, uh, off by half, off by 40%, something like that. But 2021, you know, these things, that's the tough part is that it, three months, six months of, of chaos then means that it doesn't just clear up overnight. That's a lot of, uh, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the rebound from an accident. It doesn't, you don't just bounce back to where you were pre-accident. It takes a lot of time. Even after the, the broken bones heal, you still need to get your muscles in shape, et cetera. It's kind of like that. Let's talk about strategy when the marketplace tosses you a grenade. I'm looking over here at my notes. By the way, dear listener, if you are just a listener to the Do Business Better podcast and you are not a viewer, this is also on my YouTube channel. So please uh, go to the Damian Mason channel. It's real easy. Just go on YouTube, type in Damian Mason channel. And uh, I'd like you to subscribe. The more subscribers I have, the more activity I get, the better than more people can see this. It'll help, uh, help it be more findable. Also, if you are a listener and you enjoy this, a reminder that you can buy either of my books, the one that's over my right shoulder or my left shoulder, Do Business Better, is made for entrepreneurs and want to be small business owners. And Food Fear is the book about North American agriculture, past, present, and future. All right. Brad McDonald, Marketplace Tosses You a Grenade, Strategy, uh, Hunker Down Mode. Did you hunker down? Well, did I hunker down and like not work? I couldn't not work. I mean, I had to work harder than, than I've ever worked. Honestly, I, this year I've put in more hours than, than I ever have in my life. That's what I would say that me, you, and I can talk to a whole bunch of people that are in different, depending on where, what their business does. I said, uh, how is they said I'm working really hard. And then sometimes I'm not because I don't know for sure what to do, but the reality is I'm still stressing and I'm still working and I'm working when I can, but I'm not really making as much money. So I discovered that there was uh, plenty of work going on, less revenue coming in. You took a revenue hit, you worked harder than you had before. So that's what a lot of people need to understand. That's how running your own business is. Uh, spending. 
you stopped probably cut back a little bit personally, but you did take some monies and put it into new equipment when you thought that there was cheap trailers or cheap trucks to be had a little bit, right? That's what you would normally do. But in this situation, number one, you had to hold on to cash. Number two, there is no equipment to be had. So that's, that's a problem in itself. You can't, you can't get equipment right now. As far as cutting back on personal spending, you know, my wife has said to me, you haven't paid yourself in a while, have you? And I said, no, but it'll be okay. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll come around. But yeah, so that's another thing that I think that employees, we talked earlier, you know, everyone thinks it's gravy, right? Um, but they don't realize that you can go for months, right? And, and not pay yourself or be limited in paying yourself. Great example that if you're listening to this and you're not a business owner, or even if you are, um, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, great example. A lot of people said they saw, they saw it in the news and they're like, oh, well, these small business people, they're going to be all right. They can go get that PPP. First off, you didn't get it until you'd already been shut down for four to eight weeks. There's a lot of folks that are really, really just clinging by their fingernails. So if you got to go four to eight weeks without any revenue and you're still obligating expenses, by the time that PPP came, that's like throwing a, a life raft out to somebody that's already been eaten by the sharks. You know, they, they're they done. Um, the thing on that is the PPP, as you just pointed out, you didn't pay yourself. Most folks don't get it. The PPP generally made it so you could pay your employees, but not yourself. Uh, Correct. The attorney was able to pay his employees, but not himself. Uh, My friend, the uh, graphics design company, paid her employees, not herself. I mean, this goes on and on. I know all kinds of people that they got enough to keep things so that they pay their employees, didn't do a damn thing for them. So there they are still sitting and working, as you said, harder than usual, no income. Right. And we did get the second round recently of the, what they call the stimulus money or the PPP money. Uh, We just got that recently. The problem is, is that we needed that, you know, we said that was coming back in October and um, we applied for it in January, I think is finally when they released it to be um, forced to sign up for or apply for. And we just got it. I mean, it's crazy how long that took. And the unfortunate side of that is that, you know, during that time, in our industry, insurance is very is a very big expense, and I'm not talking insurance for employees, which is a big deal, but I'm talking about liability insurance. I'm talking about um, cargo insurance. I'm talking about physical damage insurance for equipment. You know that that insurance is very expensive, and when you get PPP money for payroll you still have 12% of your revenue, which is what it typically is, but it's not based off of revenue when you don't have revenue, it's still a payment. You know, you're still paying that, you know, $30,000 a month for that insurance, regardless if you're running miles or not running miles. Right. You'll have to pay that. Well, one of my big complaints, and I made this point, uh, was that these government programs, after we were shut down, uh, they talked about paycheck, paycheck, paycheck. Well, a lot of expenses have nothing to do with paycheck for employees. It's insurance. It's uh, liability coverage. It's, uh, you know, uh, 
mortgage note on your restaurant, whatever. So they didn't do anything for that. Let's go back to strategies for you uh, when the marketplace tosses a grenade at you. Did you fire people? We did. We did let a few people go, but we also hired people to replace them. And the reason why is because it's it's hard to train people in our industry. It's you know it's a skill set that you have to know the industry. And so we tried to better ourselves. I mean, there are other people that were being let go. Yep. And so we looked at some people that maybe weren't real happy working for us. Right. Um, so we said, hey, I don't think this is working out. And then we hired people that we thought that would be a better fit for us. You took it as an opportunity to get rid of uh, folks that were uh, square pegs and uh, brought in people that you thought would uh, were the machine keep the machine rolling better because they had been downsized or outsourced or something like that. Correct. So that's a strategy, by the way, dear listener, if you're saying, well, I don't know, these guys are just talking everything we're talking about. He's talking about buying when, when, uh, when everybody else is running, he's talking about uh, uh, spending on the smart things. He's talking about then getting the right people in when the marketplace gives you an opportunity. All right. Did you chase more customers? You talked about going out and getting people on this. Did you do that by lowering your, uh, your, your prices? Tell me about how you went about getting on the one side, how you got customers for your actual trucking company, and then how you got team players and partners on the logistics. So what we did on expiring contracts, um, we limited the time period of that contract. So rather than sign a year long contract, we said to them, listen, I can do it at this reduced rate and I'll do it at this reduced rate until the market goes back up. So I'll do it for two months. I'll sign this contract for two months, but understand if you're going to reduce my rate during this time, understand that if there's an upturn that I'm going to expect the same. So it's really, it's really an uncomfortable feeling to talk to your customer that way. It wasn't something that I'd have ever, ever experienced before that I've had to do that. Um, you know, I had an employee that said that I was really aggressive with them. And unfortunately I had to be that way because everyone was basically in survival mode. Right. They were taking, if they had the opportunity to, you know, cut their transportation costs by 40%, well, that means that I'm going to lose out on 40%. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, in July, when things started to come back around, and now even today, rates are extremely high. Unfortunately, you're dealing with limited capacity, so you're just trying to find as many trucks as you can um, to service your customer. So, yeah, did we reduce our rates to keep business? Yes, but we didn't sign long-term contracts. We didn't expect, we didn't, we made sure that our customer didn't expect that this was going to be a long-term deal. Again, going back to what I, what we always try to do, because you always know that there's going to be a downturn. So a majority, a large majority of your business that you have, or the, that we have is based off of what we call relationships. And It may not be the highest rate in the market, but they're going to be there for us all the time. 
So you get your upper control limits and your lower control limits. And we want to be just about just above the median price of the market with some of those customers. And you really develop relationships with them. You provide something that they don't want to lose. They can't afford to lose you during a downturn. And if they did lose you, then it would cost them a lot of money to replace trailers. And so it's really important that you front load that so that when you do have a downturn, that it's really hard for them to use someone else. So I think that we did a good job with that prior to, and that's something that we that we focus on as a business strategy, um, just to make sure that we have long-term secure contracts based not only on you know an agreement, but also on a relationship. So you talk about relationships. What about the person that doesn't have long-term contracts or even short-term contracts? They're not in a trucking business. They own a bakery. They own a, a, a gym. They own, a, a, you know, three fast food franchises, whatever the thing is. What should they focus on when, uh, when, when, it's, when it's tough? I, you know, you may think that I'm crazy, but I think that, I think if you have a restaurant or if you have a gym, I don't know if a gym wouldn't actually work, but I think that you just got to make people know who you are. I think Jean Ann at Nick's Kitchen does a great job of this. She promotes herself really well on in, on the social media. You know, when they were shut down, she she promoted herself really well on social media. You know, we have takeouts. Um, yeah. still promoted her tenderloins and her food. Sure. So even if, even if she was breaking it, by the way, dear listener, viewer, you're probably saying, who the hell is he talking about? This is a restaurant in our hometown that both Brad and I go to. So yeah, yeah. If she, even if she was not even making money during that time, at least it was a uh, brand building, you know, and Mrs. Mason, I talk about that also. It, it was really important for me to stay. I, I make money in the meetings business clearly, in addition to some other stuff. And uh, Mrs. Mason and I talked about, it, I said, I still got to stay out there. I still got to stay out there to let people know that I'm still, uh, I'm still a personality that has uh, outlook and commentary for business and agriculture. So I agree with you. That's what you do in your slow time. Now the tough part is uh, relationships. Um, a lot of people go away. A lot of people change. What relationships do you think helped you the best through this? What did you focus on with your employees? Yeah, our employees our employees did really well during this period of time. Working from home is a challenge. Yep. And they did really well um, during that period. And it's not easy calling customers and trying to interact with customers over the phone. And you have dogs barking in the background and kids screaming. And, and it just was really tough. And, and our employees, they're, they're scared as well, you know, and they did a really good job during that period or even now. I mean, Did your employees take a pay decrease knowing that the company's revenue was down? We did not decrease their pay. Okay. Only you, only, only you took a pay decrease. Correct. All right. Staying positive. Uh, I'll admit it's a, it's a challenge because again, I'm wired to be running. I'm wired to be running and going. And then all of a sudden you're forced to be in neutral. Um, I had moments where I wasn't positive. About you, I tend to internalize that a little bit. You know, my my family or my wife probably wouldn't know that I'm concerned or that I'm upset. Uh -huh. One one of the things, like when I get sick, I get a fever, or don't feel well. 
I think that as long as I don't tell anyone I'm sick, then no one will know that I'm sick and I'm just okay and everything will be okay. So I didn't, and I really don't want to put the burden on anyone else. I don't want them to say, oh no, what are we going to do, pony boy? You know, type scenario. Um, Because I think that only adds to the drama. You know, you just got to be, I, I try to be very objective during those periods of time. You can be subjective, think about what ifs and, you know, be sad inside, you know. So I might go out and shoot a few rounds of uh, ammunition out of a shotgun or yep. do some things like that. And that makes me feel better just to shoot something, blow something up, do something like that. <laughs> but, All right. So you're working harder, but, you know, and I was working hard, but I was working hard, but not not as many hours as I used to because I used to be on the run more. So then I kind of wondered, where do I spend my time? Where'd you spend your time? What activities? Well, we couldn't business, do anything. What we, business building activity did you do if you said, man, we've got less customer outreach to do? What were you doing? You were just still building business. You were spending your time doing what? We were training um, a little bit more than what we had in the past and focused a little bit more on identifying customers. We focused on gross profit per customers, which customers provided us the most gross profit, what lanes, what we call lanes, it's business, what lanes that they have, maybe that we could source, what carriers that we have that might fit those lanes. Right. We did a lot of identification during that period of time. Um, Identification. Identifying carriers that could match up to certain lanes, identifying identifying carriers that would match up with this this customer within this lane. We're looking for a customer that fit Houston to Phoenix. Yep. We were looking at customers that would fit that lane and could do it more efficiently than someone else because they were in Phoenix and they took a load to Houston. And so they needed to get back home. So they may do it for five, eight cents a mile less than what we had previously. So we were working with those carriers to see what we could do to increase our gross profit and also provide them value because they need to get back to Phoenix. So we spent time uh, doing uh, exercises like that, identifying where we can better ourselves. All right. We're talking about survival. You just talked about a ways you did that. You spent time training. You spent time mapping out more of the marketplace. You said, we're not crazy busy. So we're going to find ways that we can still profit through this by identifying uh, some niches or some new, new lanes. What separates those that survive from those that don't? You've all heard it. 50% of all small businesses fail within five years. I say they don't fail. I think they just give up. Um, You know, they just say, shit, this is hard. (laughs) What separates those of us that make it through the, the, the tough times and those that don't? Not quitting. I mean, that's probably the biggest issue. You know, you just don't give up. I agree. I talked about it in my book. I said resilience, I think is resilience means you just don't quit. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's the most important thing. People think it's business plans and all that kind of stuff. I say, no, nah, it's just mostly about refuse to, I refuse to lose. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just can't stop running. You know, you just keep running and running. Anyone can go out and run a mile. Anyone can go out. It's the people who quit who can't do it. Anyone can do it. Yeah. It's, whether you finish it or not. If you quit, obviously you can't. 
So you just have to, you just have to finish. A good habit do you have that helps with your survivability besides just the not quitting besides the resilience? Is there anything else? You know, that's probably the biggest, you know, I think that I do a pretty good job of managing relationships with my customers. I think that I have some key relationships with customers and obviously I've developed some relationships with my employees. Um, so that, that has helped. And being able to get people to think like I think sometimes it is really difficult. And, and I, and I've said this to other employees in the past, you just got to get them to think like you think you got to get them to think like we think you're going to go into a customer and you're going to hear that customer tell you why they can't do this or why they won't pay that. You have to get them to think like you think. And that's important in the relationship. Number one, I think that you have to understand your customer. You have to, what we call the anatomy of the customer. You have to understand the anatomy of the customer. So if you understand the anatomy of the customer, the needs of the customer, you understand their business, that goes a long ways. But then once you understand their anatomy, then you can kind of sense where you need to be within them. And then you need to explain to them where you provide value and they need to think like you think when you're providing that value, you need to get them to understand that value. All right. I'm, I'm liking this. Uh, by the way, I talked about habits in my book, my do business better book, which is that one over there. I said, there's four uh, traits and, and their resilience being one of them that is key to entrepreneurial success uh, long-term and, and resilience is definitely one of them. And then I talked about habits and you keyed on one of them there. You talked about, um, customer outreach. And he also talked about um, working on relationships within the people that make your business go, your customer, your employees. And I was thinking about my own habits that I think helped me through, helps me through my slow times salesmanship. Um, you know, my, my wife's like, man, you, you always are looking at uh, what, what, what can I put out there? What, what thing can I put out there? So you've got to be a salesperson and it doesn't necessarily even mean that sometimes during the slow time, you're going to just come home with, um, uh, you know, a big new contract. It could just be that you're still staying out there when the other folks are giving it away, banging on doors. But I always look at, no, no, how can we position ourselves? Cause sometimes smart salesmanship is positioning you know, I'm, I'm going to be your long-term solution. Like you talked about, where can we be your solution for the next two years, that kind of thing, five years. Right. You're building the emotional bank account or you're putting, you're adding that feather to your cap, so to speak. And we talk about that on a regular basis. When, when we do a load and let's say that our gross profit on that load is only say 8%, we still make money on the load. It may only be a hundred dollars or whatever but you provided additional value. It was a tough cover. It was a last minute thing. You provided that service to the customer. And so you, you gain equity with that customer. And that's, that's important, but you can't be, you, you can't be equity rich, right? You can't be doing all these favors for everyone and then not have anything to show for it because you'll just go out of business that way. And your customers, everybody, man, he is a good guy though. Right. Yes. There's a thing called a goodwill bank account, but don't, and it's good for your business to have a goodwill bank account, but it's better for your business to have a good real bank account. Right. Is that what we're talking about? Right. And which doesn't exist today, maybe for some people, but for us right now, the good real bank account is not real good, but it'll get better. I mean, it'll come back around and it'll be, and it'll be fine. 
but that's going to take strategic execution. We have to execute on some things going forward that will allow us to get back to that point. So yeah, it's really hard. You can't take three months off with almost no revenue and and think that your bank account is going to stay the same, regardless of how much PPP money they give you. It just doesn't happen. Well, no, that just, all that did was maybe pay for some employees. And as I pointed out, there's a bazillion other expenses that go out the door. I mean, I don't even have employees per se, other than my wife and I. So uh, didn't, it didn't stop uh, all of the insurances. It didn't stop all of the uh, Google search engine optimization and the website and the ongoing marketing and the et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, we all, we all have that. Not to mention my farm and some other different things that happened in my little um, uh, enterprise. Why did we not discuss that we should have Brad McDonald? Uh, what thing did we not cover about surviving survival strategies when uh, for small business? I think that we covered everything. I, the biggest thing is not it's not the shot that you're taking right now for using the golf analogy. It's not the shot that you're taking right now. Obviously, you want to we want to know where you want to be for the next shot and the next shot after that. So. As long as you prepare yourself and what we do, what I call we front load it, understanding that there's going to be a downturn at some time. And then when you're faced with just the total shutdown, mm-hmm. I mean, you just got to go to work. I mean, and, and you got to work harder than you've ever worked before. I mean, it is literally like, I can't imagine being in war. I've never been in a situation like that, but literally you're starving, you're hungry and you got people shooting at you. And I can't imagine what that was like. So I think about scenarios like that. I think about someone being in a trench, someone shooting at them. And I think my life isn't that bad. No, like in a trench somewhere fighting a war. I, I, you know, I just, I'm, I don't have that. Yeah, it's a matter of perspective, what you're talking about there, that uh, things are a little crummy. Uh, you know, you took a bunch of revenue off my plate. It was out of my control. I, I'm, I'm pissed about it. Uh, but also, I'm not sleeping under my tank in Germany right now and uh, having somebody try and toss a grenade under. You know, we talk about the grenade gets tossed in the marketplace. Well, that's a figurative, not a literal thing. So, yeah, putting perspective is a good thing. And also, you talked about another thing. It's a matter of uh, pre- preparatory defense. If you came into this situation that began a little over a year ago and it upset your apple cart, that's, that's happened to all of us. If you came into it overextended because you made sure that you never, you know, it's the old three little pigs thing. If you came into it with a straw house, you're screwed. If you came into it with a brick house because you did a little preparation and had some, had some goodwill built up, had some money saved back, you're probably going to survive it a little bit. Closing thoughts. Just got to keep on keeping on or keep on trucking getting you're the freight code guy. His name's Brad McDonald, buddy of mine since high school. You can find him. How do they find you, man? They're saying, Hey, I want to do business with this guy. How do they find you? www.gofreightco.com. Gofreightco.com. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a good time. Dear listener and viewer, again, go on the uh, YouTube channel and hit subscribe. It don't cost you nothing. It's a YouTube channel. I just, uh, it'll help me out because it'll help my exposure. And, uh, and please join me again here. Until next time, I'll have great guests like Brad McDonald. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Until next time, it's a Do Business Better podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.